one of our Christmas traditions is uh, on Christmas Day, we pull out the Bible after we've opened our stockings. We, we have a rule. You can jump into the stockings while Dad's still in bed because he's usually the last one out of bed. And you can open your stockings. And then after that, we pull out the Bible and we read Luke chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we're going to just read a, a short portion here uh, this morning. Luke chapter 2. Hear now from God's Word. In the same region that there were shepherds outside in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel of a multitude of heavenly, I'm sorry, with the angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and the account of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Thank you for the shepherds who testifies, even to this day, that the angelic host came and proclaimed that the Savior of the world had come. More than that, that they worshipped and said, Glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, we look to you this morning for strength and wisdom. We look to you for peace and understanding. Lord, have your way with us here this morning. For you know us by name, each one of us gathered here. And you're keenly aware of our circumstances. We're grateful that we can trust you, and by faith we know that you can speak to each one of us as you see fit. And so, do so, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Must have been quite the scene. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be a shepherd that night when Jesus Christ the Lord was born? What it had been like to be a shepherd that night, to go out to the fields, to take care of your sheep, something you had done numerous times, not expecting anything different. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, sudden there's an angel that stands before you and he says, listen, the Savior of the world has come. You'll know that it's him. He's been born and he's in swaddling clothes. He's in a manger. Go and seek him out. And then before that angel completes the task of announcing the, 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 the birth of Jesus Christ, a multitude of angels are before you. And collectively, together, they, they with one accord sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Imagine what that would have been like. I mean, surely it transformed the shepherds. Instantly they ran and looked for the Christ child. 
They testified to the reality that the angelic realm had come and, <clears throat> and encountered them. And they brought the message that those angelic beings had, had shared with them glory to God in the highest and peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Peace seems so elusive, doesn't it, in so many ways. I mean, the angelic host came and they declared peace would come and, and it shall come. Make no mistake. It shall come. And yet we live in this already but not yet reality. Isn't that true? We live in this reality of already, yes, God is at work, and yet not quite, not yet. Peace, what is it? Well, if you look in the dictionary, you'll find that peace stands for two things. First of all, a freedom from all the cessations of war or violence. That's peace. Peace between two nations, peace on earth, peace between two warring nations. If you were to do a, a search on how many wars there are at the present time, you would discover that there's more than 200, 200 wars going on as we speak. Wars between nations, between people groups, guerrilla warfare going on as we speak, a lack of peace. And we hear the horror of some of these things that are happening. I was reading a, a newspaper article this week about a seven-year-old girl in Aleppo declaring just the travesty of what's happening. It shakes you to the core, this violence that is all around us. So the question arises, where, where does this come from? Why is there a lack of peace? Time magazine once sent out an inquiry asking, what's wrong with the world today? What's wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton, the famous theologian and journalist, wrote Time magazine, and he said, Dear Sir, Dear sir, I'm, I am, yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? Why is there violence all around us? Why is there a lack of peace all around us? We're what's wrong with the world, aren't we? Uh, each one of us, we have passions and desires. We're broken more than that. We're sinful. We desire our way and we can hardly help ourselves. James, the brother of Jesus, when, when explaining the brokenness of people, he, he, he explains it this way in James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What's wrong with us? We are broken down to the core of who we are. We are broken. And this, this causes war. This causes conflict. This causes quarrel. This removes the peace 
that Jesus Christ has come to give. It's us. And so what do we do with ourselves? How do we solve the problem of war? Yes, how do we solve and bring peace to this world? Well, the truth of the matter is we can't. We can't bring peace. No. No, that is a task for God alone. In Psalm 46, where, where the psalmist records that we can trust in the Lord, we can rest in Him. He speaks about the mountains crashing into the sea and the water taking over the land. He also says this, it's, it is God who makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. See, friends, peace will only come from God. God is the only one who can bring peace. And rest assured, peace will come. God will bring peace for sure. Make no mistake, peace will come. God will bring it. And wars will cease. He's the only one who can do it. But what about peace within What about peace on a personal level, not so much a global level? Well, the second definition for peace, according to the dictionary, is a freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility. Love that. Nothing like true peace, isn't there? Nothing like just finding that quiet place, that place of peace. How do we do that? How do we find that? Well... The Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, the one who has come to give peace. He says this in John chapter 14 as he's preparing his disciples for what's about to come. You see, violence is just around the corner. Jesus is about to go and die on the cross. He's about to pay the price of sin for all humanity. Violence is around the corner and he says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. No, peace can come through the person of Jesus Christ. You want peace internally? You want peace that passes all understanding? There's only one way to get it, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one who leaves it. He's the one who gives it. It's a gift to you and to me. You see, there is no peace, friends. There is no peace apart from God. None. There's no peace apart from Jesus Christ. The great author and uh, writer, C.S. Lewis, he put it this way, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. Because it's not there. There is absolutely no such thing. That's what C.S. Lewis said. If you want peace... There's a relationship between peace and the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want more peace, your close proximity, your understanding, your walk with Jesus is what brings more peace into your life. It's just simply true. How does this begin? Well, Romans 5, Paul says that we gain peace by being, first of all, justified. We are justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, friends. We are so broken. We are a slave to our sinful nature. And the first step to peace is entering into a relationship with God. 
How do we do that? Well, God saw us in our brokenness. He saw us in our wickedness. He saw us in our frailty. And he sent his son Jesus to come and to pay in full for all our sin. To take the wrath of God upon himself and to pay for our sin. And what Romans 5 is saying is he's, he's helping us understand that, that the beginning of peace begins with our, our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. If we want peace, we need to make peace with God. How do we do that? We need to be justified. We need to agree with God on how he sees us. We need to agree with God on our brokenness. We need to agree with God on our sinfulness. Yes, God, I agree. I have sinned. I fall short of the glory of God. Yes, God, I deserve death. By faith, I receive what Christ has done on the cross for me. You see, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He came and he died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And so as we receive by faith the gift, we then have peace with God. Is that where it ends though, friends? No. No, that's not where it ends. No, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Paul goes on to say in the book of Colossians. And to which indeed you were called into one body. And so not only are we to receive Christ, we're, allowed to, we're supposed to allow peace to, to reign, to rule in our hearts. But you cannot disconnect peace from Christ. It's not possible. The two go hand in hand. And our relationship with Christ is critical in order for us to walk in the peace that he offers You see, we may be justified by faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross, but we need to walk with him in order to enjoy the peace that we have with our Heavenly Father. More than that, that we can enjoy the peace in the midst of our circumstances, even when they're not going the way we want them to go, or even when we're under intense pressure, we need to to have a close walk with him. Not only that, Our walk with the Lord even affects our peace with our enemies. That's what Solomon says. Solomon says, when a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible promise and declaration. That when we walk with the Lord, when our ways please the Lord, even our enemies are at peace with us. Amazing. Peace. So how do we walk with the Lord? What does this look like? Well, the fancy word is what we would call sanctification. Maybe you've never heard of sanctification. uh, But simply what sanctification means is to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's what it means. It means to be transformed into the image of Christ. Ah. The Alliance Movement, I love it. There's what's called the fourfold gospel. And uh, the fourfold gospel is Jesus Christ, my Savior. There's no salvation apart from Him. We cannot save ourselves. We haven't the ability. We are guilty. Uh, But He's not just our Savior. He's our sanctifier. Jesus Christ, our sanctifier. And thirdly, he's our healer. Jesus Christ, our healer. And finally, or fourthly, Jesus Christ, our coming king. 
when all will be put into order and peace will reign. Sanctifier, how do we walk with him that we have peace with God, peace within, peace without, peace with our enemies? How do we walk with him? Well, some would suggest that we are saved by grace and then sanctification is our job. That's the suggestion. In other words, I get saved and thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, I got this. I got it covered. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to do what it takes to become like Jesus. It's a real temptation for us to do that. And, and so we strive and we seek to be disciplined and, and, and we, 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 you know, we do everything that we think is conceivable to, to live the right life. And, and yet we continue to fail. Now, I'm a, I think that we need to lean in, and you're going to hear what, uh, sort of how to unpack that, but, I, but I, I think it's not a life of discipline that will bring transformation and sanctification to our lives exclusively. <laughs> this is where it gets a little dicey, and I need you to lean in and listen closely so you don't leave confused by what I'm saying. You see, some people think righteous acts are s- simply enough. But righteous acts, friends, isn't righteousness. Just because we do right acts, that doesn't make us righteous. It just means we've done something right. Or we've had a righteous act. And if the righteous act isn't from transformation and walking with Jesus, if it isn't a work of the Spirit in our lives, then it's just simply a righteous act. In our society, we see this. Government has been uh, uh, told and ordained by God to set laws in place to keep community and and nations living under laws of righteousness. And and you can see it. People live according to the laws or the standards that have been set up. And as those laws and standards are loosened, so too do the people loosen their lifestyle. We, we, we see this even in our days. On, on a smaller scale, I see it in my own household, right? I'm raising my kids, and as long as I'm watching, I can get them to do what I want them to do. Make sense? Just the other day, I took my eyes off my two-year-old for not two seconds. We're sitting at the table, and we have little Ziploc bags because we're going Christmas shopping, and, and we're all writing our names on the Ziploc bags with a permanent marker, Okay, you got the picture? My two-year-old, I look away for just a second. I look away for just a second. My two-year-old grabs the permanent marker, lifts up his shirt, evidence is still there, writes all over his belly. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Black marker. I'm like, are you kidding me? It was that quick, right? See, we can enforce righteous acts. We can, we, can, we can sort of, you know, uh, set boundaries and, and we can have, have uh, our kids, our, our nations, our communities live according to righteousness. But, but we mustn't confuse, and that's good. Don't, don't mishear me. That's good. But it's not righteousness. There's a huge difference. See, here's the difference. God, God doesn't do righteous acts. Okay, Okay. whoa, that was not right. I wonder if that's recorded. <laughs> I get in trouble for saying that. God does do righteous acts, but it's out of his righteousness. Okay, you, you see how, how, how there's a difference? Just because he's, he's righteous, so he does righteous acts. Some people do righteousness 
because of the boundaries that have set around them and because people are watching to make sure that that's what's happening. Righteous acts doesn't equal righteousness. Now here's the promise of God. God says this, by grace through faith, I will save you. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Receive it. And then when he saves us, and he gives us the assurance of eternity with him, more than that, God leans in and he says, guess what? I'm going to change you so that you don't just do righteous acts, but that you become righteous. Now you and I know, because we live with ourselves, don't we? You and I know, we we go to bed at night with ourselves and with all our mistakes and with all our corruption and with all our brokenness and we think to ourselves, God, how how are you going to do that? Are you kidding me, God? You're going to change me? God says, you bet. You bet. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. I remember when this finally made sense to me. Struggling to walk with God. Pulling up my moral bootstraps. And all of a sudden, God opens up to me. Philippians 2.13 For it's God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What an incredible promise. Friends, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior... If you are justified by faith, listen to what God is saying to you today. He's saying, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change your will so your will aligns with my will. I'm going to change you and transform you so so that the good works you do are aligned with me. It's not about righteous acts. I'm going to change you that you become a righteous person. And even as I say that, some of you are going, can't be done. No way. That preacher don't know me. My response to you is, you don't know God. Yes, it will be done. You are keenly aware of your brokenness, and that's good news. It's as we humble ourselves in the sight of God, as we, as we yield ourselves to him, he will do this work in us. He will transform us into his likeness. This is a promise that God has made to us. This is the word of God. You can bank on it. You can count on it. You can lean in and trust that God is going to change your will. He's going to do a work in you that you will do his good pleasure. This is God, and this is what he's going to do in your life, friends. You will will not just do righteous acts because someone's watching. Friends, you will be so transformed by the work of God that, that even when no one's looking, you're going to want to do what's right. And friends, you can't do that on your own. This isn't a work that you can do on your own. This is God's work in you. It's great news. It's great news. You can rest in knowing that God is changing your will. He's changing you to work for his good pleasure. You you can count on it. So what does that mean? Does that just mean simply sit back and enjoy the ride? Well, to some degree, yes, there's an element of that. But there's more to it than that, friends. 
there is. And this, is, this, is, this is the harder part of the message. There's, there's a paradox here. And what I mean by a paradox is, is it's, it's two truths that seem to be contradictory with each other. How, how do they align? Okay, so God's going to work in me to do his will and to do his good pleasure. Okay, okay. Well, what's my responsibility in this? Do I have any? Well, friends, we, we'd, we would be making a mistake if we skipped verse 12. Verse 12 sets the table, actually, to verse 13. He goes, he, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. See, God is calling us to, to lean in. God is calling us to come to terms with who we are, to, to, to come to that place where we go, God, this can't be done. You, you can't change me. I'm so corrupt. My sinful nature has got such a hold on me. God, God, I, I don't know how you, you can save me. I, 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 fear and trembling. But it's God who works in you. God works in you to do his will and his good pleasure. Friends, friends, if you want to know peace that passes all understanding, it's, it's directly related to your righteousness. It's directly related to your walk with Jesus. It's directly related to your understanding of who the Prince of Peace is. It's not about pretending life isn't happening. It's not about setting aside the circumstances that, are, that are, are so difficult. It's about knowing Christ and being centered in him. It's about following him. Uh, Peter. Peter, the, the, the beloved disciple who who you know, constantly put his foot in his mouth, who, who promised Jesus that he would stand with him no matter what. But when the conflict came and, and he took a swipe at the, one of the uh, servants of uh, uh, the tabernacle and cut his ear off and, and Jesus rebukes him and says, live by the sword, die by the sword, Peter. That Peter also writes Second Peter. Second Peter, this wonderful portion of Scripture, listen to what he says about walking with Jesus, uh, about being sanctified. Listen to what Peter says. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow. God's divine power has granted to us, to you and to me, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Wow, what a statement. All that we need has been granted to us through Christ. His divine powers that work through us. Through the knowledge of him, understanding who he is and who called us to his own glory and excellence by which we, uh, he has granted to us his precious and very great promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Listen, God is at work. That's what Peter's saying. God's at work in your life, and he's changing and transforming you. The divine nature is at work in your life, and it's transforming you to the likeness of Christ. Is that the end of the story? No. For this very reason, Peter goes on to say, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Make 
every effort. Lean in, friends. Lean in. Make every effort. Partnership with what God is doing. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, with knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, steadfastness, with steadfastness, godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Does that not sound like the fruit of the Spirit? Isn't that what it sounds like? What is he saying? Make every effort. Lean in. Make every effort. Pursue God. And God will do a work in you. Friends, as we move into this Christmas season where we focus our attention on hope, that Jesus Christ has come to give hope to all people. As we focus in this Christmas season and consider peace. Friends, listen. God will bring peace and it will reign on all the earth. Make no mistake. He is returning. He is the coming king. But he will also bring peace to you and to me as we walk with him, as he transforms our will and our desires, as he conforms us to his image, as we focus in on joy and love. See, that's what Christmas is all about, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, the Savior of the world, the Savior for you and me. And so, Lord Jesus, here we are. We stand before you recognizing our desperate need of you. Lord, for some gathered here this day, they are not justified before you. Their sin is still held against them. And death is the consequence. May the urgency of this hour be theirs. May they sense the draw that you have placed on their lives. May they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For others gathered here this day, Lord, peace has been fleeting. And yet you say peace is directly related to the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord... Lord, would you do a good work in us? Would you change our will and our desires to comply with yours? Would you transform us into your likeness? Oh God, we need you. We can't do this. We're keenly aware of our own brokenness and sinful behavior. We do many things that we do not want to do. Wretched. Wretched as though we may be. You love us. Would you change us? Conform us that we would know peace, we would know joy, love, self control, godliness, that we would know you. Help us to make every effort to lean in. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.